Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. In this Created for Fitbit spinoff series, Unleash Your Potential, we'll speak to biohackers, psychologists, and the well-beings we admire most about how to unleash untapped potential in every area of your well-being, from fitness to work and beyond. This week's guest is Paige Barasa, a nationally board-certified acupuncturist who studies psychology at the University of Colorado and holds a doctorate in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Paige, welcome back. So great to see you and hear your voice. Yes, so good to be back, and you too. So let's rewind and tell us about your study of psychology and how it led to your interest in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Okay, so we'll go in the time machine and we'll go way back. And basically, um, we can start at kind of even when I got interested in psychology is a kind of fascinating story in that I was living, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and I grew up with aunts and uncles and people around me kind of getting sick. And there was this impressionable age that I was at in my young teens when I saw people getting sick and had a a deeper understanding, I think, of death than you should at that age. (laughs) And I was watching people around me die of cancer and MS and things that were pretty big deals. And at the same time, I was going to a primarily Asian high school and my best friend was Chinese. And she had all of her great grandparents and aunts and relatives and everybody was like living in one house. And so on one hand, I'm seeing all of my (laughs) Caucasian get up in the morning, Catholic, have a drink with breakfast family (laughs) start to whittle away and be afflicted by these different illnesses. And then her family, she's complaining to me that she doesn't have her own bedroom because her like great, great, great aunt is sharing a bunk bed with her. So to me, I was, I was kind of looking at that and going, okay, what's the difference in mentality here? And also what are we doing differently? And that made a big mark on my young brain. And then also the the way that they viewed illness, like in our family, when, or when, when somebody around me was told they had cancer or told they were sick, it was almost just watching this cascade of negativity of, oh my God, okay, now I'm going to die and I have to get my affairs in order. And it wasn't so much of a, let's take this and fight it. And then in my friend's family, it was very much, oh, you have an illness. Let's like throw a cup on it or drink an herb or something. So I think that seeing that difference in psyche was like huge for me at that age. And so that got me into psychology. I was like, why are we so downtrodden and like negative as soon as we hear something from someone in a white coat, whereas the Chinese are like, okay, we'll just fix it. We'll stick something in it or whatever. So that's where the the psych started. And then I went to University of Colorado and was studying psychology and was loving it. And I don't know if you've ever, when you were in college, if you had any like psych major friends, but <laughs> I don't know, or med students, I was again, kind of caught up in the whole like, oh my God, I have codependency. Oh my God, I have, you're diagnosing everybody around you and running around. Dating was, you know, really fun at that point because everybody had something. But yeah, I just got to this point in psychology where I had this aha moment that if someone came into my office and was in severe pain, that I may be able to say, okay, 
Part of this is because you went through a breakup and or a divorce and you're being afflicted with psychosomatic illness or whatever it was. And a lot of this is emotionally induced. But the fact that that someone could leave my office and still be in physical pain kept me up at night. Then, then I kind of transitioned my thought to, okay, now I've studied psychology and I don't really want to cut people open or give them a pill. What can I do to fix somebody's pain, to have somebody walk out of my office in considerably less pain than they arrived in without a drug or a, a surgery? And so then I kind of got back to the, you know, aha moment in my teens of the Chinese medicine and followed down that path. And so you grew up in Vancouver. I'm curious, do you notice a difference between Canadian and American attitudes when it comes to medicine and alternative holistic methods, if you will? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't lived in Canada for about, I don't know, can't count over 18 years, but growing up, it was really interesting because you, I had an aunt that did Reiki, even though she was a devout Catholic and was very kind of on the straight and narrow. She knew what Reiki does and she did Reiki on her kids when they were sick. And everybody in Canada at least either had a naturopath or like knew a naturopath. Naturopathic medicine was the big thing in Canada when I was growing up. A little bit of homeopathic, but we all knew what it was. So for I think for a nine-year-old to know what naturopathic medicine is, is unless they're your kids, it's strange. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it, it, it's just different when I'm in the States and especially now I've just recently relocated to Nashville. The conversation is night and day. Like I'm basically trying to prove to people I don't just do massage therapy with crystals. I've gone and I have a doctorate and like I can you know, really help them with pretty much anything Western medicine can address outside of obviously a gunshot wound or some sort of an infection, go to the hospital. But yeah, it's, it's hugely different. So do, do you, building off of that, do you notice a parallel between cultural definitions of success and our general approach to, you know, life, health, happiness, medicine? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you said that because I think that that's actually one part of, part of the reason I moved down to the States is because my mindset was more like a capitalistic growing, always up leveling, kind of challenging myself, hurtling that next mountain. And I didn't see a lot of that in Canada. So I think where Canada kind of excels at incorporating the holistic model into their medicine, into their mentality, as far as wellness is concerned, we also are very, <laughs> we're very happy with just being and just the status quo in for this is a perfect example in Canada as a kid I was like I want to build a center I want to build a healing center and I want to have doctors that talk to naturopaths that talk to this is 14 years old I'm like we could do like herbs we could do this we could do that and everybody was kind of just looked at me and you know thought I was cute and was like you know that's a very it's a very adventurous little idea and here in the States, it's you grow up with shows like Shark Tank, where it's, I have a, a piece of Velcro that'll also make you a ham sandwich and clean up after your kids, and somebody throws a million dollars at it. You know, it's like <laughs> the sky is the limit. So yeah, success is, I, I think success is totally different in, bo in both the countries. And so let's get to the, the nuts and bolts of acupuncture. So those who aren't familiar with acupuncture how do you explain what it is and how it works? Okay. So we have the biomedical 
explanation of acupuncture, which is what I will kind of talk to my very skeptical patients about. The patients that are coming in and are like at their last ditch effort with with whatever illness and their doctor has recommended it because that's the only way they'd come. It's way too woo-woo otherwise. So in that in that explanation, you're getting that the acupuncture and the needles, when placed in the skin, they elicit a response from your central nervous system. And though the response in your central nervous system will release different neurotransmitters and it'll affect the muscles, the spinal cord, the brain, different connective tissue. And so you actually can see, and there have been studies done, a functional difference in, in organ systems, whether that's the heart or the liver or the kidneys, you can see a response and you can go on Google and type acupuncture plus migraine pain. And there will be a, a host of studies on PubMed or Cochrane or a lot of different scholastic websites that you can actually look at the, these universities and these people who've researched it. And so there's definitely a biochemical reaction and a response in your nervous system to heal whatever area is being addressed. It's it's, there've been a lot of, a lot of studies done on pain, which is why I love treating pain because you can actually give somebody who's been in chronic back pain. Look at the study. There's the sample size is 1800 people and it's been proven to reduce chronic pain in 80% of them. And it's something you don't have to keep up forever. So there's a lot of Western kind of meaty, uh, research that you can fall back on there. Now, the explanation that I like, the kind of, you get them in the office and <laughs> they're, they're there willingly. Nobody's dragged them. Nobody's wife is making the appointment for them kind of thing. That explanation is just that we have chi, which is kind of your vital life force running through your body. And so it runs through your body in these different meridians, which are kind of like visualizing highways that are running up and down and across your body. And on these highways, there are little acupuncture points. And so you can kind of think of them as like intersections or rest stops. Now, when we have a disease or a pathology in the body, say you have you know pain in the neck, you'll be looking at those meridians that are running through the head, through the neck and like up and down the body. And usually as a, as an acupuncturist or a Chinese medicine doctor, whoever you're going to see, what you'll see is what we call a stagnation in those points. And so you can kind of think of it as like a traffic jam on that highway. So we're able to diagnose this through looking at the tongue, feeling the pulse, doing facial exam, and then just kind of getting an idea of whatever the patient is telling us, we'll pick up a little bit more from the story there. When you diagnose that, you see like that there's like a little traffic jam, there's a stagnation, there's a buildup along that energetic pathway. And then with the needles, what we're doing is we're going in and releasing that stagnation. We are, or ways, finding an alternate route for the traffic. You can speed up the traffic, you can move the chi and get it kind of moving quicker through that little jam or you can disperse it. You can kind of make it go other places, but it's it's kind of cool because you become a little like director of energetic traffic and that's how you're really addressing what the issue is. I love it. And I, I love that you brought up the tongue because I always love the tongue. And yeah. so talk about the tongue and what you, and what, what acupuncturists do when they say, let's look at your tongue. Could you just talk about that for a moment? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we also love the tongue. I mean, we have whole classes on tongue diagnosis, but it's kind of cool if you think about it, right? Like the tongue is the only muscle that you can see without skin on the body. So if you have, again, we'll go to neck pain, 
if you have neck pain, Jason, I can't go to the back of your neck, peel back that skin and go, is it dehydrated? I'm not sure if he's having a dehydration issue or is there a blood flow issue? I don't know. But the tongue, like you stick out your tongue and it's, it's a muscle and it's giving your practitioner a relative indication as to the chi levels, like how much energy you have in your body, the blood levels, do you have too little, too much? If there's stagnation, there's a whole map on the tongue. There's areas for the liver, there's areas for the heart, the stomach, the spleen, the kidneys. So each, if you Google again, tongue map, you can see all of these different parts and then you can kind of diagnose by color. And every time I do this, it's so funny. Everybody like runs to the mirror and they're like, oh my God, I have this. So try not to jump into, I have a pathology mentality. But for example, let me say right now, my tongue looks great because I'm pregnant. So you have a third more blood volume. So my tongue has actually never looked, my tongue's never looked so good. <laughs> but I, usually I would say I'm a little bit what we call blood deficient. And so that will look like a pale tongue. So your tongue will kind of look, if, if your perfect tongue is like bright pink and no coat, and moist and little glistening. Uh, a blood deficient tongue will be like a little bit more pale. It could also be a little bit like grayish almost. Just like if you would think about somebody not having enough blood, they go pale in the face. Same thing with the tongue. So in that way, we're kind of able to look at different organ systems and then also look at the general kind of overall health of someone by the tongue. And it's a great party trick. So you mentioned pain earlier. I'm curious, What's the most common motivation for first-time patients? Is it pain? Is it stress? What do most people come see you for when they first start out? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's different. <laughs> okay, so I always say this, and this is <laughs> holds true of all the all the cities that I've practiced in, West Coast, East Coast, now the South. There's a one common thing that I think is hilarious, and it's like women come in. And it could be any women come in, could come in from anything from amenorrhea, like not getting their period, menstrual difficulties, fertility, headaches, migraines, something that they would like to work on. So women come in with this mentality of, I feel unwell, I feel unbalanced, and I would like to feel better because I know this is not my optimum self. And men come in, and this is wide, this is like a generalization that has, I have yet to be proven wrong. Men come in when their arm is falling off <laughs> and come in and they're like, I've just been diagnosed with like heart disease and arteriosclerosis. And I'm going to need a quadruple bypass. What can you do in a week? Women are like, I don't feel like myself. I could feel better. That's, that's one of the definite generalities that I found. But also I think, I think pain is huge because there's, we have an opiate crisis on our, our hands right now. Like the opioid crisis has just taken so many lives and now the world health organization. And I think, I think there've been some other, there's also now like major insurance companies who are actually recognizing acupuncture as a modality that can help people getting off of opioids and also help people with chronic pain so they don't have to be prescribed opioids in the first place. So pain is a huge one for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that's how I came to acupuncture. I dislocated my shoulder yeah. God, a long, long time ago. And that's how I first discovered acupuncture. And then Colleen, my wife, who you obviously know and are friends with, yeah. she, she does it for maintenance. I think I'd also add for men too, I think it's pain. And I think some men who are really into performance, 
yeah. who are drinking the metaphorical Kool-Aid that's appealing to them. I, I love acupuncture. I think our audience loves acupuncture, but I'm sure someone listening is saying, okay, how do I convince my friend, my partner, my spouse, what have you, that they, they need this? What, what's your advice in presenting the case, if you will, for someone to try it? How, how do we persuade that, that person in our life who maybe isn't as open to experimenting with right. acupuncture? Good question. I mean, I, I always say lead a horse to water. <laughs> like if, if, if you have somebody who's dead against needles, it's going to be a hard sell, but I would look at first the why, right? Like, why are they hesitant? Is it, is it a hardcore New York finance person who's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't exist. It's, it's woo woo. You're going to have to show that person some research. So that's where I would, you know, just casually email them like, Hey honey, or whoever it is, we are definitely on at six o'clock on Friday night for the dinner with the Smiths. Also, I found this amazing study on acupuncture and low back pain kind of interesting. And then just leave the study, just lead them with crumbs. So if that's more research-based person, give them research, show them proof because we do, we have empirical evidence about this stuff. Like it's not crystals and woo-woo. I mean, we definitely add that for flair and because it looks good on Instagram, but it's, there's, there's research. So if it's somebody who's kind of more of a, a science mind, use that. I always say also like getting different accounts yourself, like saying, remember when I had that cold or I was suffering from those really bad asthma attacks in the spring and go yourself and then show them afterwards. Wow. See, I'm, I'm more calm. I can breathe my lung function. You be, be walk the walk and show them how it's really affected your life. Like you said, I mean, your shoulder, right? Like you had a shoulder injury, you went, you feel better. Now, are you going to go to brunch with your girlfriends and be like, honestly, I was so relaxed afterwards. It was amazing. No, probably not. But if you, if you're talking to some sports guys and somebody has a shoulder injury, you'll probably be like, Hey, fix my shoulder. So kind of be, I would say, be the change <laughs> kind of like we need in the world right now, be the change you wish to see. And then if that doesn't work, throw them research. So you talk about results oriented and I, I tend to think of high people who are high per, high performance who believe in performance who you're optimizers mm -hmm. do you notice any patterns in those high performance individuals in your practice in nashville are there physical and psychological similarities between those people who are very performance oriented yeah i mean i think across the board i've i mean i've only been practicing in nashville for about a month now so my my sample size is a little smaller than than i'd like it to be but i think that across the board like high performance individuals who are so people who are interested in health and who are going the extra mile to make sure their body is recovering and, and functioning at the most optimal levels that it can the things that really the, the similarities that i see between them and and people in new york or anywhere are just how committed they are. So it's not when gluten-free half the week or paleo one day a week or whatever it is. These are people who are really committed to their health, who are willing to take the ex do the extra mile to have optimal nutrition, sleep, and search out different modalities that will help them heal. So the commitment is number one thing I see. And I can I can see that, I'm sure as you can, for a mile away. You can spot that without even talking to somebody, how serious they are about their health and about their well-being. And that's across the board with high-performance individuals, I think.
Yeah, so I'm always curious what makes people tick, and I'm curious, what do you think if you had to pick three adjectives that describe those who are really tapped into their potential, what would those three adjectives be? Probably, I mean, I would put commitment the first, like committed, and then authentic. People who are willing to say, I fell off the wagon, whatever, a week ago, and but I'm ready to get back up. And is there anything I can do to kind of kind of push myself to get back to where I was before, whether that's like a diet slip up or going out and raging with tequila shots or whatever, whatever it is. So really being honest about where you are and where you want to go, you know, is a huge thing in healing because you can't, you can't achieve optimal wellness if you're not honest about where you're starting, you know, and then drive just there's a commonality of people who will not stop and and anything from researching the newest biohacking trend to I mean somebody was talking about sunning their butthole the other day I was like I don't know that that's really research-based I don't know that that's really gonna I had to talk that one down have you heard of that no I have not You've not heard of butt setting? No, I, in the, the wonderful and wacky world of, of, of well-being, that's a new one for me. But I know, it was actually new for me and I had to look into it before I completely shot it down. But there's like a trend, I guess, with yogis that are saying like, this is your most inner yin part of your body. And so exposing it to sun for 10 to 20 minutes no. a day really increases your vitamin D levels. I don't think that that's anything accurate. on anything on PubMed yet on that one. No, no. I mean, I went right to PubMed and Cochrane and nothing. Just segue out of that. <laughs> so let's say, let's say you can't make it to acupuncture. You can't go to tanning your, your behind for, your, yep. your, for vitamin D. What, what are other habits and actions that can help people with regards to pain management, stress management? What else do you recommend other than, than acupuncture? Okay. I mean, I would say this, the stuff that you can do at home, the stuff that's free, it's so funny how, I think it's ironic how many people are searching outside of themselves when if you, in my opinion, if you fix your sleep and your nutrition, you are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. I think there's not enough emphasis on the importance of sleep or getting into, I think we have a fad with the sleep hygiene, but it's coming back. It's getting cool to sleep. There's like pillowcases that can help you not have wrinkles. There's all these different sleep pads for your bed, but really it's the only time that your body gets to restore and heal and your brain shuts down. And in Chinese medicine, we have a, a clock where every two Whatever you like two or three hours, the there's a different organ system that kind of takes over. And so in the nighttime, when you're supposed to be having that optimal REM sleep is in our liver time. And if you don't hit that sleep early in the night, so if you're not in, in bed and kind of starting to go to sleep by 11, your liver can kind of kick up, your liver function can kick up in Chinese medicine, your liver function, not Western liver, can kick up and you'll start to get that second wind. So a lot of times when people say, oh, I get my most creative at 1 a.m., I'm like, that's like your false energy. Your liver's kicking up. You're not getting a chance to, to fall asleep and really restore that yin. So if you aren't having a good six to eight hours of sleep a night, you're not, your body isn't getting that uh, shutdown time. So I think sleep is paramount. I, and that's free. Like you're, you know, going to go and spend a million dollars at some, I don't know, like retreat, but just go to sleep. Uh, that's easy. So in a world where 
you know, again, we, we want to reach our potential. We want to perform. We want results. And I think we, we tend to be metrics driven, which is great. And what I am interested in is your perspective from a Chinese medicine perspective. What's the Chinese medicine prescription or recipe for those who really want to unlock, unleash their potential? What does Chinese medicine say about it? Like on one hand, I think we know what you know biohacking says, but what does Chinese medicine said, say about that? About unleashing your potential? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, again, it's Chinese medicine is so in tune with nature that you have to get back to balance, right? So it's, it's not too much of anything. It's not too much pushing throughout the day, too much overachieving. We don't want you to do a double high intensity interval training and then pound a bunch of liver desiccated organ smoothies and go and give a talk for four hours. It's about balance. So balancing that yin and the yang. Now the yin is a little bit of what I was talking about with like sleep. You're replenishing the yin. You're giving that kind of deeper, more restorative side of yourself, a little bit more attention. And then the day you're pushing through with the young, everything in moderation, everything in balance. And then I think sleep, nutrition and meditation. I mean, if you are hitting those guys and Chinese medicine is huge on nutrition. And so it doesn't matter if you are paleo, what diet you are, you can incorporate good whole organic nutritious vegetables you're supposed to have different colors on your plate so it shouldn't just be like chicken and rice it should be broccoli there should be red onion there should be different colors all around your your plate but the whole thing is about balance so if you're doing in chinese medicine if you're doing too much of one thing you're almost depleting yourself in that area and so that's what we pay attention to as chinese medicine practitioners and that's what we're looking to help you with when you come in for a session and then in the same way, we, we talk about being too young and being a high functioning adult and doing all of the things all of the time. There's, there's some people that are too yin too. There will be some people who come in and their main affliction is depression and sadness. And that is when they're slow and they're moving too slowly and they're eating too much and there's too much kind of stagnant energy, we need to inject you with a little yang. We need to move. We need to give you chest openers and move that energy with acupuncture and herbs. So again, everything kind of comes back to balance. And anytime that you're looking at yourself and you're like, I have this illness, I have this condition, what I always say, and this kind of, you know, ties into just getting to know yourself and being authentic about where you are is look at when that is bothering you in your life. If you're only having neck pain every time you go to work, maybe that's tied to work, right? If you're only having headaches every time you go and visit your family, maybe that's tied to your family. So by noticing when these things kind of afflict you, you can bring them in back into balance yourself. Not not going to work, obviously. I'm not telling people to quit their jobs. <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you provided those examples because I was going to ask. Okay, if I'm listening, how do I self-diagnose? I'm out of whack. I'm, I'm a little out of balance. How does it manifest itself? And so the homework that I would give those people is, and it sounds, it sounds kind of primary, but this is something I give all my patients is just make a little note in your phone. And this is especially true with food stuff. Women who come into me with indigestion, they have either chronic constipation, diarrhea, like IBS, whatever it is. 
when are you getting that? Like, when are you bloating? And so the, the easiest thing is to look at food and they'll come back and go, oh my God, it's only when I eat chocolate covered croissants and a Slurpee. And I'm like, okay, we can pretty much deduce from that, that those are the things that are making you bloated. But further to that, noticing the things in your life that are inflammatory. Are there certain conversations? Are there certain friendships? Are there certain relationships? And just notice, oh, wow, I have anxiety every time I go to open my email. Okay, so like how do we manage that? Because it's it's unavoidable, but maybe we have to do some sort of talking around that, some some sort of therapy around that. Again, noticing patterns in your own life, being your own practitioner really is what I empower people to do. And do you have a go-to you can share when you find yourself being a little bit of being a little bit out of balance? Yeah, go-to like I have several. What do you which which go-to? So do you, I can tell what I do, but I, I'm yes, not a, I'm not a, pre- so I'll go for a walk. I'll do some breath work. Those are, those are my two big ones. Walk and then do, do a little breath work. Got it. Okay. So yeah, I, I think it depends on like where I'm feeling stuck, but if I'm feeling, I know that if I'm feeling kind of like angry or sad in Chinese medicine, that's usually has to do with the lungs or the liver. And so a a good exercise for that is doing some cardiovascular work, getting some energy, getting some chi back in your lungs. So going for a quick hike, being in nature, grounding, that is going to kind of get that any, any sadness, but also aggravation. It's going to kind of help you move through those emotions and that stuckness. As far as if I'm feeling, I think right now we're all kind of feeling a little ungrounded. And so what I'll do is go, that'll be more of like me outside with just a five minute meditation or a gratitude journal and just what am I grateful for? Let's list five things and just bringing yourself again, kind of like back to that balance point. And then if it's, if it's physical, like if it's pain, then I'm looking around at what I did or what I just interacted with that caused that inflammation response, that caused that trigger, that caused that pain and trying to move away from that source and then address the pain. So it's, you can't really... If you're in a boiling pot of water, you can't be like, wow, it's hot. You have to jump out of the pot first <laughs> and then notice that your skin is burning. <laughs> so take yourself out of whatever environment kind of put you in that state and then address what your body really needs. So my last question, if you have one piece of advice for anyone who's just looking to become a bit more grounded right now, what, what, what should we do? Hmm, a bit more grounded. I mean, yeah, we definitely all really need that right now. My, my number one piece of advice for grounding is go get in the ground, go to nature. It doesn't matter where you are. We have negative ions and amazing chemicals floating off of the sea that make us feel grounded and, and heavier. And the salt makes us feel more substantial and calmer. If you're not by an ocean, go put your feet in the earth, breathe in with trees around you. Mother nature is make it's, it's what it created us and it's how we heal. So getting back to that is the number one way that we can kind of feel whole again, I think. And you'll also, I I find, and I'm sure you can weigh in on this, if when you get frustrated or you need a break, you go for a run, when you get back to nature, you usually have kind of an epiphany about what got you out of balance anyway. Like it may start with, wow, I feel really anxious. I'm having panic. I, 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 I don't know why this is happening. Why does this always happen to me? And you're swirling thoughts. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes into a walk in the forest or a walk by the ocean, you're going, oh, 
you know what? It's every time I let everything get to me at once. If I just kind of chunked what I needed to do, I wouldn't feel so overwhelmed. There's a little epiphany, but I think nature really teaches us so much about health and balance in our body. And it's at, it's everywhere around us. It's free. <laughs> Amen. We'll close there. Paige, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on. 